0: Welcome to another episode of Everyday Strong with Doctor Michael G. Daniels. This is your host CB Baker. We got a great one here today, Uh, Doctor Daniels. um, uh, We got a guest, and I'll let you introduce her because I know you know her well. So go right ahead. It's such a pleasure to have with us today,
1: um, Jody Wagner. Uh, She is a woman that has spent uh, most of her career uh, being a uh, a great defender of those who were not able to uh, defend themselves. You know, both in her her, her career uh, prior to pol- getting into politics, and now to getting into politics, and and now she is uh, looking uh, to make a, a great impact in the city of Virginia Beach uh, uh, as as our new mayor. And so we we're, we're great. It's great to have her here today. And okay. uh, I'll let her introduce herself even further.
2: Well, thank you very much for having mm-hmm. me. Um, and it's really wonderful to be with you. Uh, my background is um, I started out as a lawyer. And I did primarily transactions, so I'm used to working with people that may not be exactly in agreement. And We work to try and get everybody to compromise and, and be able to close a transaction. Um, to a large extent, that skill set is exactly what city council needs, is to get the city council members working together with the citizens to be able to resolve issues and, and solve problems. Um, and then I went to Richmond, and I was the state treasurer for Mark Warner um, when he was governor. And had an opportunity there to do a lot of different things. The state treasurer does a lot more than just count the money, right. issue the checks. Um, you serve on the Virginia Housing Development Authority. So I learned about affordable housing and some of the great things that are being done around the state that we might want to um, do more of in Virginia Beach. Um, and then in um, after I finished that job, I became the secretary of finance for Tim Kaine, which was the cabinet level position. And there I was in charge of the budget with Governor Kaine. And fortunately, when working with those two governors, we had great success. With Mark Warner, we were the best managed state and the best state to do business in. And with Tim, with Tim Kaine, we were the best state to do business in and the best state in which to be born. So those were great administrations that I'm proud of being involved with. Um, during that time, I started a little company called Jody's Popcorn, and we um, opened a little retail store at the oceanfront. And when I finished serving with um, Governor Kaine, I went back in and we've been growing that business and we now wholesale around the country wow. and are focused on that. Um, but I, you know, right now, the city of Virginia Beach is facing a lot of challenges. Um, we've got the, the challenges connected with COVID-19. We have an economic um, recession and a lot of small businesses are probably not going to be in business three months from now. And we've got um, some issues of disparity and equity that need to be addressed that have been on the table for a long time. And um, currently, they have not been resolved, and we need to work towards resolution on those. So I decided to step up and run for mayor, and I'm hoping that I can um, make significant change in that position.
0: I got a a business question for you about the popcorn. Did you see an uptick in people buying popcorn now that they're watching TV and movies at home?
2: Well, so it's interesting. Um, We sell primarily to, to small gift shops. And a lot of them closed, so they weren't able to get the popcorn, but we also sell in grocery stores and there it was very busy. And we do some, what they call co-packing where we make it for others to sell under their label. Mm -hmm. And the um, people that we do it for are selling into big stores, like, um, you know, the big box stores and there it has been crazy busy.
0: Yeah, I can because I the reason I asked that is because <laughs> I've been buying popcorn at home, watching movies at home. All right, so
2: keep eating popcorn. Yes,
0: yeah. <laughs> it's a wonderful snack. So um, when a uh, coronavirus hit, we were stuck in the house a little bit, and I got cabin fever. I said, you know what? Let's go down to the oceanfront, get a room. The rooms was cheap, but it was around the same time that a lot of the protesting was going on, and it seems like the police department. I'm not going to say stop policing, but there wasn't as much presence, so to speak, down there. If it was, it was during the actual protest. Where I'm coming from is, is I did notice that a lot of shootings started happening in the oceanfront. And I remember me and my wife was talking like this can't last because this is the bread and butter for Hampton Roads. You cannot have, you know, people coming in and, you know it's one thing to have a, a random fight or argument. It's a whole nother one to have somebody getting shot mm-hmm. at those in front, which you hardly ever hear of, you know? So what is the plans for policing Hampton roads area and what your neck of the woods, which would be Virginia beach.
2: So it's a challenge. Um, the police actually, because of a variety of things, but primarily frustration by uh, members of the police department, they've actually hit, been losing members. So they are down significantly in their ranks. Um, in fact, I walked the, the beach front July 4th from 15th to 25th Street, and um, the rest of the beach was being patrolled by people from Chesapeake, Police. Oh. From Chesapeake, that were oh. helping out because the, um, because the beach is so short. So I think they're working on hiring. Um, but the, you know, there are a lot of things that can help the situation. First of all, they need better lighting. Um, and the police will tell you that. I met with... Um, some members of the police department. They were very clear that the biggest problem down there is we need to create a better atmosphere. So we need better lighting. Um, we need to clean it up. If you walk in the in that area between 15th and 25th, which is where most of the problems happen, you'll notice that it's not well kept. And it's not just the shop owners. Some of the shop owners are doing a great job. Some aren't. But the sidewalk is is damaged. It hasn't been maintained. Um, the trash cans were overflowing. Uh, there's just a lot of problems, and we need to create an atmosphere that, that says we care about our city, and you know we're taking care of it and then we do need to have um police presence uh unfortunately, they're being attacked by citizens um that are taking the pro- taking the protesting and becoming unpleasant and we've got to change that dynamic
0: yeah now do you think the I always just blame the trash cans that were flowing on mm-hmm. the coronavirus, and people just lack of having staff just to be able to take care of that.
1: Well, you know, I I think too, one of the great issues that we have is that um, people are not, those who have the power um, have not really assessed what the problems are. And so if you don't deal with the problem and you keep dealing with the symptoms, it keeps snowballing. Right. And so the question is why are people frustrated? You know, what, what makes, you know, the average person just decide we're going to um, all of a sudden Uh, we're going to defy authority. You know, we're going to do those things. And it's easy, it's easy to, to, to blame, um, because that's the easy way out. See, the hard way out is to say, well, you know, what's causing it? You know, what makes, uh, you know, a, a 17, 18 year old decide I'm going to throw a rock at a policeman. Right. Well, you know, when, when hope is gone, then you do things that wouldn't ordinarily be a part of what you are. I think that's one thing we have to start looking at is, is what is the, what are the root causes of all this thing? You know, why are people so frustrated? You know, they've been locked up in the house for a long time. You know, that's frustrating right there. And, and then um, you have all the other things that happen in the nation. That's another issue that's frustrating. And so if, the, if people are not acting, if all they're doing is, is talking and giving you rhetoric, you know, that's more frustrating. You know, right. so what do you do? You know, it's kind of like um, uh, Stokely Carmichael said a long time ago. He said that if I whisper in your ear and you don't listen, then the next thing I will do is talk in a normal voice. If you still don't listen, I'll shout. If I shout and you don't listen, I'll get your attention the best way I know how, which may be a rock through your window. Right. And so I, I think that if, if out of frustration, that, that's why you're seeing some of the, uh, some of the attacks. Because um, talk, as my father would always say, talk is cheap, but it takes money to buy land. Which means you know you got to act. You can't just tell me what to do. You got to act on it. I got to see some change, and right now we haven't seen any real change, right? And, th- and that's a part of the problem.
0: So what's what can we do to the what's the first step to change? I should say.
2: Well, you know it's a it's a tough problem. Uh, you know if you t- trace it back to sort of disparity in economics, um, the first thing that we need to do is make sure that the, um, that every citizen, so every African American citizen, every Latino citizen has a seat at the table, and has an opportunity to compete for business that the city's doing, has the support of the city, um, and has an op- And then for young people, they have to have an equal education and an opportunity to get to have a great career. Um, so, I believe strongly that a lot of it it deals with how the Virginia Beach economy is doing. And right now, I'm worried about us. You know, we've got a lot of businesses that are on the ropes, and we've got a lot of citizens that might have been furloughed originally and they were getting, you know, the enhanced unemployment, but that stopped. And that, you know, soon we're going to start seeing long lines at the food bank because they aren't going to have a way to pay for it. So I, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, I think it's really incumbent upon city council to try and support the small businesses as best they can. I don't necessarily mean financially, um, but I mean, you know, giving them as much room to whether it means letting them expand their restaurant into the street, you know, right. so that they have enough seats to have outdoor seating. Um, I think we need to provide as much education to people about COVID so that they know what's safe and what's not safe. Um, if, you know, we've got to create an environment where people are are listening to the experts and are wearing the face masks because the sooner we bring down the transmission rates so that it's safe to go back to school, we can get the kids back in school. Yeah. Um, but it's going to take a concerted effort and it takes a lot of communication.
0: Right. You know the crazy thing about all of this is, it's a very unique situation. And when when Dr. Daniels told me that you know she was running for mayor, and I was like, well, who would want to be in leadership right now? <laughs> you know, it's like you know, it's it's a very daunting task with no roadmap. You know, you're stuck in the dark, you're in the middle of the woods, and there's no GPS, there's no map. And you got a little bit of path in front of you and it's dark, you know. So what are what are you going to lean on to be able to get you to the right area to bust through all of this?
2: Well, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to lean on the citizens of the city to tell me what they need. Um, We stood up four task forces in our campaign. In fact, Dr. Daniels is serving on one of them. Um, But one is on the economy and we're asking that group to look at several issues. What do we do to support the small businesses? What do we do to um, clean up the oceanfront? And then long-term, what do we do to diversify our economy? So we're not so dependent on the oceanfront in that area. And so we're not so dependent on the military because as we experienced in the past, you know, BRAC can come, you know, at any time and close the base. Yeah. Um, and that, so that's the first one. The second is a diversity and equity um, task force. Um, which you're serving on, which is really meant to deal with the, the challenge, you know, to help inform me and then create suggestions of what we can do to um, create a more fair environment for everybody. The third is a flooding and coastal resilience task force because to add to everything else, we might have to build an ark to be able to get around the city <laughs> when it rains. Um, and then, the, and then the fourth one is um, public safety and public health because we've got to come up with some strategies. To respond to some of the concerns that have been expressed by um, the Virginia Beach Interdenominational Ministers Conference, Mm -hmm. Um, they laid out a strategy in 2016 of what needed to happen for um, fair policing, and some of that's been adopted, but a lot of it hasn't. you know the police force right now does not reflect the community. Right. Um, yeah. I think it's what seven percent of the police force is is African American, mm-hmm. but twenty percent of the city is African American. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done. Right. And, um, but I I can't I don't have all the answers. I need to talk to people like Pastor Daniels and help me come up with the right answers. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's part of the that's that has been part of the problem in the past. And I think again that's part of the frustration. Is that if people ask the question and you give them the answer, and then they do little to respond, you, you know, and I and I, I think that's key as we move forward. Is is that you know if you really want to to make a change, then you have to be willing to accept the change that people suggest. You know, there I give you a, just a, a small example of what I'm referring to. Um, you know, there was a task force that was developed to um, to increase the minority policing, as you pointed out. And, and several suggestions were made. None of the suggestions were adopted. <laughs> you, you know, so then you know why have the task force if you're not going to go right. along with the suggestions? You know, uh, for example, <laughs> um, the recruiting was done heavily at ODU University, which I'm proud to be a, an alumnus of ODU. Uh, but the bottom line is, most of the minorities are at Norfolk State and Hampton. So right. you know, so so why would you go? Why would you make that your primary effort? And if you go to in Norfolk State then as I mentioned to them, don't go wearing a blue uniform, you know, go, go wearing civilian clothes because the ideas of policing are different in the African-American community. For us, you know, policing has been a a place of occupation, right? You you know, and and you need to present it differently, not as a, a occupying agency, but as people who want to help you so that you can live, you know, productive, safe lives but none of those things were adopted. And that's, that's, again, that's a part of the problem. So I'm looking forward to a time when, as you mentioned, that, you know, we can have leaders that will listen and then act based on what we're telling them. Because that's why you elect leaders. You don't elect leaders to do what they want to do. You elect right.
0: leaders to listen and do what you've asked them to do. Right, and the ironic thing with the, the Virginia Beach police force being down, now we have openings. So we, now we can fill that, you know, maybe get a gap, fill that gap a little bit from that 7% maybe range it up to 15 to 18%, you know, reflecting the community a little bit more.
2: Absolutely. But we've got to recruit smartly.
0: Right. And that's the thing is it's, it's, the openings are there, but
1: the problem is um, you don't normally want to join the enemy. And, and in most African-American communities, that that's how the police force is viewed, right? Is that you are the enemy. So why would I be become a part of the enemy? And and that means that there has to be a change in the way that we, we advertise, but also a change in the way we occupy areas. You, you know, oftentimes the thought process is if crime is high, for example, it requires more policing, um, right. which uh, that doesn't deter crime. I, I I haven't figured out yet. You know, I I wasn't a sociology major, <laughs> but, but I, I, sociologists, let's, we know that more police don't dec- deter crime. Right. We know that more jails don't deter crime, but yet we spend more money trying to police areas. It makes no sense. How do you deter crime? You make, you, as, as, as Jody pointed out, you, you, you bring about equity. <laughs> you know, when people feel that they are unequal, they are more apt to take what you won't give them. If, if you give it to them, then they won't take it. But you got to give it to them in a way that makes them feel good about it. You know, so rather than uh, you know, putting more money in, in, into law enforcement. We ought to put more money into social programs right. that allow people to elevate themselves. Schools should be equitable as far as, you know, how we do things. As you, again, as you pointed out with, with education, um, in, in the area where we are, there is a uh, a school that is, sixth, is a sixth grade school. All it has is sixth grade, right? Now, that's the strangest thing I've ever heard of. The reason why they have a sixth grade school is because they weren't comfortable moving kids from elementary straight to middle school. Hmm. Okay. Now, because they're saying, well, they need to improve reading and, and those fundamental things, right? Well, it, does that mean that the kids that live in those predominantly minority neighborhoods have less intelligence? We know that's not true. right? So then why, why is it that you lower the standards? You don't lower standards. You improve how you teach right. or you change how you teach. Or, or you put programs in place so kids when they come to school they're not hungry because right. a hungry kid doesn't learn. You know, you put those kind of things in place. And so which takes us, you know, back to where people, you know, when people think what do you do with the police force? You know, do you defund them? Do you do this? Do you do that? Well, it's not a matter of taking the money away per se. It's about being smart about how you spend the money.
0: Right. You know, a lot of a lot of the answers is common sense answers. But the issue is you have people with agendas. That say, well, if you do X, Y, and Z, you're going to hurt me over here. Mm-hmm. But even though common sense wise, it says, you know, you need to fund, you know, social programs, fund you know, the education system, which has for years been underfunded. Anytime you're asking parents to bring paper to the school, that's like a red flag should go up, but everybody, no one does anything about it. It's like, you know, why do we have to bring school supplies, you know, to a public school You know, and even now the private school is even asking for that. And we're, you know, and we're paying the private school. So it's like, it's, what can we do to change the mindset for everybody? Be like, okay, let's just stop the foolishness. Let's do what needs to get done.
2: It's tough. And it's, and it's, and it's gotta be addressed at all levels. You know, the city alone can't solve the funding of schools. It's a partnership with the state and to some extent the federal government. Um, But we need to. Prioritize education, and one of the goals in the when I was in the Kane administration, one of the number one goals was um, pre kindergarten, pre K um, for for everyone, because it's totally inequitable that if I can afford to pay for pre K for my child and you can't, then my child already starts ahead mm-hmm. before they've even reached five years old. Right. So um, you know that's an example of where you know you really need to elect the right legislature, and you know you've got to pay. You Know a lot of attention to who the delegates and the senators are because I'll end the governor because ultimately they decide what they're going to fund at the state level, right? Um, and and then all the way up in the federal government, we have um concern now that they're talking about not funding schools if they don't open in person. Seriously, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I so I mean, I, th- I think that um, it's you know, elections matter, and you know, I think that the citizens really need to pay a lot of attention to who they're electing. Or city council, because city council decides how much money the schools get. So if you elect city council people that aren't, you know, very devoted to education and to making sure that everybody gets a fair and good education, then you're going to end up with a disparity.
1: Yeah. Well, absolutely, and, and you know, that, as you say, the answer is simple. You know, we make we make things complex right. uh, because of agendas. If I'm from a poor neighborhood, right. And again, this is not a new concept. If I'm from a poor neighborhood, generally speaking, I go to a school that's poorly funded. Mm -hmm. If I go to a school that's poorly funded, then I end up getting a poor education. If I get a poor education, then it's highly unlikely I can move out of that poor neighborhood. So I have children. Right. And then they go to the... They live in a poor neighborhood. They get a poor education, right. and then they don't. So you get that. All you all you get is a, a cycle. It's, it's, a, it's the same thing over and over again. Now, if you just look at the schools in the various areas, it's obvious uh, that that you know tax dollars really should not have neighborhood stamps on them. Uh, you know, is the point I'm making now, right? So if you if you're in a neighborhood where uh, the let's say the average home is five hundred thousand, right? And you look at the school in that neighborhood. And then you look at the school in a neighborhood where you have a lot of low income housing. There is a a a a a a marked difference in uh, what you see in that school as far as computers and all right. that kind of thing. But 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 the tax dollars, once they get into the to, to, to the coffers, they they are mingled. So you don't know where the dollars came from. So really it should be an equitable disbursement of the money. So you know, in fact, I would say this: it should be the opposite. The best schools should be in the poorest neighborhoods. The the equipment that is you know the most modern should be in the poor neighborhoods. Because if if I have a half a million dollar home, uh, I probably have laptops or I probably have you know desktops or or iPads in my home. Right. If I live in Section Eight housing, there's I probably don't have that kind of equipment. Right. If I live in a neighborhood. With half a million dollar homes, then I have Wi-Fi, you know, I have access to internet. Mm-hmm. So really it, it should be the opposite. The best schools should be in the poorest neighborhoods, but that's not what we have right now. And that's problematic. Yeah. So we spend more money, we spend more money locking people up than we spend on education.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's sad. It is sad. If we would if we would spend that same amount of money on educating people then we could reduce the number of people that are in jail, which would also bring down crime.
0: Yeah, and which brings up the point of, will virtual school even work holistically for everybody?
2: I think it's clear it's not. I mean, if you don't have access to the internet, virtual school doesn't do you any any good. If you don't have a parent there that has the time and the knowledge to help you, then you you may not be able to even figure out how to do it if you're little. So I think it's, you know, it is not the ideal education at all. So we've got to do everything we can to get these kids back to school as soon as they can safely.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I've experienced because I have two kids myself, the virtual school. And I was like, oh, my God, this is, (laughs) you know, it's like this is this is this is not going to work. Because if you work like I am an entrepreneur, so I work from home a lot. So. You you know you get wrapped up in the work and then next thing you know and an hour goes by I got to go break off what I'm doing go set them up the computer or the iPad so the teacher can talk to them then I got to pay attention to what's going on because the teacher is telling the, my, my child something that I need to know about so I can help them later on so really you're not working you're a teacher's assistant the entire day you know so that really is I can just imagine now that's me as an entrepreneur well off. At home. Now, I can't imagine being 35000 to $45,000 a year person that I need my job. What, I'm, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Am I going to stay at home with my child so they get education or do I go to work? And that's a very tough task to really be faced with, uh, you know, decision.
1: Well, I-, I would say this. It's not. And I'm going to tell you why. Because we have never made that decision. We've always done what required us to do. Yeah, you know, we, we didn't just start living in a world where parents had to decide, do I stay home or do I go to work? You know, in communities with single parents, the communities are filled with latchkey kids. Mm-hmm. You know, w- w- when the summer comes, those parents don't say to themselves, do I take off the whole summer to be with my kid or do I go to work? No, they go to work. And that five-year-old kid is in the house. That six-year-old kid is in the house by themselves. That's been the standard as long as I've been alive. In in, in neighborhoods where you have uh, uh, people that are at or below poverty, their children are used to being home by themselves at early ages, and that's my point. Is that we put the money in the wrong places? N- then we we wonder why there's frustration. We wonder why communities explode. We wonder why those things happen. If we if we spent the money uh, at where it, where it, where it would do the most good, mm-hmm. what we like to do is spend the money. Uh, after the cow has gotten out of the barn, so to speak, rather than locking the door <laughs> before the cow leaves. Right. You know what I'm saying? W- look at all the money we spend per prisoner, you know, in in, in in prisons. And think about how much money we spend on young people. You know, think about how, how many people complain if you say we want to provide free summer camp for kids. They complain vehemently, why are you helping those people out? You know, They, you know, they they have kids walking around with $50 shoes or $100 shoes on. If they can spend money on those shoes, they can spend money on daycare. Well, just because you are poor doesn't mean you don't want good things for your children. Right. You know, so just like the person that makes $100,000 a year wants his child to have a phone, the person that makes $20,000 a year wants their child to have a phone. Right but we want to look at that person as if they are bad for some reason because they want their children to have what other children have. Well, you know, uh, if you are a eight year old child and your parent works at McDonald's, but you're going to school where that other parent is a a, a physician, if you are not, if you don't come to class with the same things that that uh, those other students have, then you feel less than a, you know, less than uh, a, a person. So what do you do because of that? You retaliate. So you're frustrated, you are angry, so then you act out. Now when you act out, then they send you to an alternative school. Then you get labeled, then you're done for. Right. You know. So that's why I'm saying that the person that works at Burger King doesn't have a choice. We say they have a choice, but they don't. Right. If you have virtual school, that mom is going to Burger King. If they work at Walmart and you have virtual school, that mom is going to Walmart. She's not staying home. Right. She can't stay home. The child is going to be home unattended. And that child is not going to be focused on that iPad if they have one. Right. And not going to be focused on that virtual learning experience. That child is going to be outside playing. How do I know? Because I see it every day and when I'm at church. I saw it in March. I saw it in April. When the weather was warm, those kids were outside playing. They were not inside studying. Right. You know. The teenagers are less frustrated because they have more flexibility because they had their cars or they were out and they were hanging around and they were congregating. They were playing basketball. They were doing all those kinds of things. And so my point is simply this is that, you know, people say the parents have to make a decision. No, the decision was made from the moment they became impoverished and that is you're working. And that's why you see COVID-19 hitting minority communities harder Because they work the kind of jobs where they have no choice. They have to go to work. When you see people frustrated, it's like anything. Um, If you take a bunch of rats and you put them in an enclosed environment or any animal in an enclosed environment, they're going to fight. When you do that with people, the same thing happens. So that's why the crime rate goes up. Hopelessness brings up a crime rate. Right? It, it just happens in any society. It right. happens throughout our history. The answer to hopelessness is not more police. I'm saying that because I know I want to bring us back. <laughs> the answer to hopelessness is not more police. The answer to hopelessness is to establish programs that bring hope. Right. If you do that, you can decrease the number of police. You can decrease the number of, of jails. A- a- when you have fair and equity in policing, it changes things. Mm-hmm. You know if crack cocaine gives you twenty years and powder cocaine gives you five years, we got a problem right right if 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 a young man can use a defense of being well off so that if a judge will say because you are wealthy, you know that that jail will harm you, how does that make me feel? <laughs> so it's being poor a crime now <laughs> right you, you know I'm saying it's those kind of inequities that cause hopelessness that cause people to to strike out. So we got, we got to stop looking at the peripherals and we got to start looking at the cause of the problem and deal with the cause. If we don't deal with the cause, it's never going to change.
0: Yeah. And you and you did you hit the nail on the head with the with the cause by basically peeping behind the curtain as you let it all the way down. This is what's going on in in the community. These kids are at home by themselves. Yeah, that's the real world. You know, and and if you take a child that's basically raising themselves for you know, through all those years and then expect them to not get in trouble it's like you are living in it's not reality you yeah, know it's his point if i'm at home but
1: as a, i'm a latchkey kid let's say starting at age 5 who becomes my family the other latchkey kids right okay because when mom comes home m- mom's work 10 hour day mom come home mom's tired okay I'm, I'm, it'd be nice if mom could come home and, you know, and and cuddle you and and love you and do mom's tired. Okay. So what does she do? She says, listen, y'all making too much noise. Get out of this house. (laughs) Right. Right? So you go outside now, but you've been, so your family becomes your friends. Right. Right. So when your family becomes your friends, you hang out together. When you hang out together and the police see you, what do they call you? A gang. Yep. So once they call you a gang, they treat you like a gang. Once they treat you like a gang, you respond like a gang. You know, it, 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 you know, what we know is this. You are what people tell you you are. And that's just the way it is. Right. So you're right. And you know, that's why I'm saying we, we have to look at the problem and stop blaming people for, for being a part of the problem. Nobody wants to be there. You know, you, no one wakes up in the morning and say, you know what? I want to go to jail today. <laughs> I just, I think I want to get 10 years. You know right, what I mean? Right. I want to, what's your, what's your career going to be little Johnny? I want to get life in prison. Right. <laughs> that's not what happens. Right? right. It's circumstances. We have to change where people are at early stages so they can grow up to be what they really aspire to be.
0: Yeah. And then also the assumptions that the kids have It's like growing up. If you, if you, if that's the norm for people in your community, Going to jail, is like, well, you know, you know, little Johnny went to jail. You know, he's doing five years. I hope I don't get locked up doing the same thing. But if he gets caught, he's like, you know, the the that saying they say, "I caught a case." It's like they say it like it's something that you like you catching a cold. Like, no, you actually got to do something, you know, something criminal. And that's the part that we we really got to focus on our community is making sure that that mindset is broken down you know and and really supplying the programs for these kids and having somewhere for them to go now all that is fine and dandy but can we get it done with covid-19 out there how can we get how can we get programs in place and grants in place for people to apply for grants for programs out there with covid-19 still lingering around
1: well um covid-19 is not an insurmountable thing. Um, we we just view it as being insurmountable. Okay, um, there's a solution to every problem, point blank. Right now, um, we f- f- you, you you take um, with virtual learning for example. Mm-hmm. Virtual learning um, can work if you do a hybrid of it. Right, um, why why couldn't people utilize learning centers? Like like for example, when I worked when I worked in the corporate world, right? You have you had virtual offices, mm-hmm. but they didn't detach you from where you were. But you had like different spots you could go to, and in those virtual settings, you still had you know everything you needed to operate. Right? What if you had virtual learning set up that way? So the kid didn't come to school to learn, but they went to another pod somewhere. Right. So it could be, you know, 10 kids at, at various pods doing learning. Now, people with money, that's what they're doing, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> they're doing that right now. But but so if, you, if you're underprivileged, you can't go to a pod. But why not take that money that you normally would spend in the school and pay other entities, you know, give out vouchers so that parents could do that and, and that would... That, that would increase, like, private schools would in, you know, and, and and not just private schools, but churches could, could be a part of that. Right. You know, retired teachers. Can you imagine the number of retired teachers that would come out of retirement? Right. You know, if if, if you said to them, listen, take five kids at your house. Right. You know, or, or those, I'm just saying those kind of setups that could be done. I bet you would even change your business structure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've actually even, I, I thought about that, the same type of idea. And I was in a random conversation that said, well, if COVID hangs around, I can see as you can, like a lot of strip malls are empty because box stores are closing. Mm-hmm. So what if the school system bought part of it turned or leased in, it or leased it and said, OK, I'm setting up a, a class right here. And there's one teacher, one teacher assistant, 10 to 12 students come in there. And at one place It's easy to disinfect. It's just one room. It's only 12 to 13, 12 to 15 kids, you know, it's two teachers, a teacher and a teacher assistant. They come in for half a day and they go home. Something very simple that helps the economy because the person who's leasing, the person who owns the commercial building is hurting. They have no tenant, but they still probably owe owe a mortgage. Now you got somebody coming in leasing that part. So it basically helps. Everybody gets helped out, you know, and. Now the problem that got presented to me when I made that suggestion was how would the people get there? Because if the bus system is not really working, you know, for like school buses, because they're having issues with school buses, like how can a person from an impoverished neighborhood get to the to the pod, so to speak, if they don't have you know a vehicle? Well,
1: um, again, there's no not another, for any problem, right? Right, and and I'm creating a saying. transportation business. Uh, well, no. Well, it's not that you don't have the school buses. You have school buses. The question would be, how do you keep them separate? This kind of thing. But it depends on where the pause we're at. You know, most churches are within walking distance from from people in the communities. Right. That's true. A lot of strip malls are in walking distance from people in the communities. So, you know, I think that's a small thing to deal with. I, I think really it's a matter of of, of how you um, manage your, your funding. And again, I know the cities. Uh, funding is tight. I know state funding is tight. You know, I mean, m- most of my career I did, I did, I did with budgeting for the federal government. Okay. So I also understand the simple principle that what you deem important is where you put your money, mm-hmm. you know, in, in any agency, federal, state, or local, that what you think is most important is where you budget most of your money. So the question is, when I'm looking at a city, and, and, you know, and I'm, and I'm certainly hoping that, you know, Jordan will feel the same way is that we can, you can determine how a city values by what their budget is like. You look at those line items and you see where that money is going. And that tells you what they really care about. It's just, it's just really just that simple. And, and, and so that's how you can determine where we need to go and what we need to do by looking at budgets, which is something that people, most people don't do when they vote. They don't go online yeah, and say, let me, right, let me right look at the budget that. and see what yeah. they've been saying is important. But well, that's what you got to do. And when you do that, you, you you find out some things. And so, if we if we put the money where the money should go, you know, again, let me bring it back to the cry of defunding the police. For example, when people say you all people are saying they want to get rid of police, that's not what defund the police means. No one has said defund the police means get rid of policemen. You know, that's not what they're talking about. And maybe they need to change the verbiage. What they're talking about is how you fund programs specifically, because of all you do to fight crime is get more policemen what you do is you make a market you make it it becomes a capitalistic a capitalistic endeavor right right? if i make money because you are locked up i'm gonna lock you up right (laughs) it's just that simple right yeah policemen get funded based on arrest the more arrest the more money you get for your locality so why wouldn't i arrest more people yeah. Why wouldn't I look to lock more people up? You know, it, 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 th- that, that's the problem. Is, again, it's how we look at the money. Yeah. You know, see, if you, if you change, the, if you change the, the, um, the dynamic of uh, what, what do we measure, if you change the measurement, it will change things. You know, and I don't want to take a part of time because I want Jordan to speak on it too. But if you change the measurement, it will change how we look at things and it will, it will create a change in how we think.
0: And you mentioned something, Doctor Dance, I wanted to bring to, uh, to Jody um, the funding piece. Now, the government, ma- you know, magically found what was it three trillion dollars just laying around somewhere? <laughs> Gave right. it to everybody. I
2: think it actually made up the money. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. So,
0: if we know it's, it can happen, what as a as the, what does the public need to do? To say, okay, we need, these, we need this funding for these programs, and we know you have it, but we need to release it to us.
2: Well, so, so let's be clear. The, the challenge is the federal government literally prints money. So it can go out and spend another $7 trillion and it just prints the money. Um, states aren't allowed to do that. They actually have to balance their budget with the real money that they have. And cities aren't allowed to do it. They have to balance their budget with the real money they have. So the challenge that we ought to all be working on right now is getting the Senate and the house to come back to, to DC and go ahead and fund another phase of, of the cares act right. to get money to the localities so that they can fund some of the great programs you guys are talking about because the state doesn't have the money and the cities don't have the money. They probably have a little bit that they can put towards right. it, but the kind of massive effort that it's going to take over the next you know eight months, is going to really require the federal government to step up again and you know it's unfortunate because it's just digging the um, unfunded deficit even further so our ch- our children and grandchildren are going to inherit a bigger deficit but at this point we don't have a choice
0: all right so we got about five minutes left here so dr Daniels you have any any other topics you' would like to bring up
1: no, I'm 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 going to yield my 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 uh few minutes because, and I want Jody to just uh, you know address the people and, and let them know um uh, why they should be voting for her uh this cycle. Well,
2: thank you, Doctor Daniels. <laughs> um, you know, to be quite honest with you, my opponent has been in office for 16 years, and he's had a long time to present solutions to the problems that we're talking about. And if you aren't happy with the solutions that have been already that have been taken and it's time for a change. And, you know, in my background, I spent a lot of time working on some of the issues that we talked about today. Um, As a young lawyer, I was very involved with the United Way and worked uh, a section that I did um, and worked on was um, students, students at need or children at need. So I worked on funding for the boys and girls clubs and the And the after school programs and stuff like that, because we were worried then that was, I won't tell you how many years, but it was a long time. (laughs) (laughs) It was about 30 years ago. We were worried about latchkey kids then. We haven't solved that problem yet. Um, But, um, you know, we really need to, to readdress and to dig in and to deal with the issues that we're facing. In 2020, it's a different city than it was in 2000. It's a very different city. It's more diverse. It's bigger. It has a greater population. And we need to adjust for that. We need to make sure that we create an opportunity for everyone. Our schools need to have, and and Virginia Beach has done a good job. Our schools do have the opportunity to learn skills that don't necessarily require you to go to college. But now we need to bring the businesses here so that they can get jobs using those skills. We need to focus over the next four years on how we help small businesses recover and how, and how we, and there's a lot to that. You know, I talked to somebody the other day who had a business idea. He wanted to take a restaurant and convert it to a wedding venue. That seems pretty simple. right? Right. It took him six months to get through the city permitting process to be able to do that. So for six months, that poor man was paying rent on that facility and couldn't make a dime out of it. So that's very discouraging. And if you're a a small business owner that doesn't have a deep pocket, um, which most small business owners do not, um, they can't afford that kind of delay. The city has to really step up and improve our processes so that they can get in and out quickly and they can start get back to work. And, And when we put them back to work, not only do we put the small business owner back to work, but we put all the people that that owner employs back to work. Right. So we've got a lot of, of um, challenges in front of us, and the city has a big role to play. Uh, and I look forward to working with, the, um, with your congregation and with you, um, Pastor Daniels, to make some of the changes that we've talked about today and to make sure that the city thrives. Virginia Beach is a gorgeous place to live, and it's a great community, but it can be so much more, and it can provide so much more opportunity to the children and to the, and to the grown-ups that live here. So we need to come together and there needs to be a lot of communication, a lot of understanding and discussion so that we can address the disparities that are out there. And so that we can make sure that every child born in Virginia Beach has a fair shot at a great education and a great future. And that's my goal. All
0: right. Thank you so much for joining us, Jody. And thank you so much, Dr. Daniels. This is your host, CB Baker. Next time.